all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening to Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Michelle Owens and Dr. Allie Brown. And our special guest today is Dr. Megan Clapton. She's been with us before, and we're talking about depression. Not a happy topic at all, but hopefully shedding some light on what can be just a debilitating condition for people. Uh, Dr. Megan Clapton is a professional counselor, and she's the founder of Mindful Therapy. We'll find out what that means exactly, Mindful Therapy. And we invite your questions at one 877 mpb ring one 672 7464 or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. Good morning, ladies. Doctors, rather. Good morning. The gang's all here. We are ladies and doctors. Doctor yes. ladies. Lady doctor. Yes. Doctor lady. The best kind. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Dr. Clapton, welcome back. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be in company. Good company again. Karen, well, you're like youthful. You have a youthfulness about you today with your with your fancy It's schmancy. the chambray. It's the haircut, I think. I, gotta, I think it I is, too. I got all my hair cut off. Oh, my gosh. No, it's it's cute. cute. Oh, it's so cutesy. Thank you. Well, Dr. Clapton, tell us about yourself. <laughs> Karen's like, okay, Karen's like, okay <laughs> we can't talk about the... Uh... Tell us all about yourself. Um, I'm Megan Clapton. I'm the founder and clinical director of Mindful Therapy in Ridgeland, Mississippi. Um, I have a master's in clinical psychology and a doctorate in counseling, and I am... A mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapist. Um, I see individuals and do groups um, throughout the year. Yeah, so that means call your friends or if your family needs some family therapy, call them and get them all together. That was on, um, what's that movie, Everybody, Everybody Loves Raymond? That TV show, yeah, it was on last night where the where uh, the whole family actually went to a group therapy session because the mother made them all depressed, and, and, <laughs> and then she stood up and gave her little thing about why is it always blamed on the mother? They make it seem like it's always the mother's fault. It's the greatest thing, and usually women are taking care of everybody else, and I think that's part of the topic that we're talking about today is the burden of women taking care of everyone else's emotions and forgetting our own. So taking on that responsibility and getting Mm -hmm. depressed as a result because they're getting hidden somewhere in the mix. And not having time um, to give to yourself and not having, um, you know, feeling guilty for taking time to take care of your emotions or just simply not having enough hours in the day. Yeah, Self-care. Okay, so I like this whole um, not having enough hours in the day because I have a theory. And there are lots of different things that take time away from our lives. Um, But as we're speaking specifically to women, I'm going to go out there on the limb with um, parenting in particular. So I have a I have a theory. It's kind of like the the numerical equivalent. So I feel like for every child that you have, it takes each kid is equal to eight hours that you lose from the day. (laughs) So (laughs) you're at zero. (laughs) Now, some people might say, for those of you who know that I have three children, that that's exactly why I I totally believe I have zero time left. Um, But it's, it's interesting because, you know, we talk so much about this concept of 
work-life balance. And, you know, I always think that's an interesting concept because it kind of pulls out work as not being a part of your life. I think life balance should kind of be your goal. And I don't know if it's actually really balance per se, but just like harmony (laughs) for the most part. Um, Because, you know, in the ebb and flow, there are times when you might have to give more to one particular area of your life. As you go through, um, as, as life progresses, there may be certain things that require more, more time and more effort and more energy at a certain point. Um, and then less so at a different stage. Um, for example, we have um, entrepreneurial women sitting around this table. And so when you are starting your business and how much that might require or take of your efforts and energies, um, and, and if it's a new undertaking, how that pulls you, you only have so many hours in a day. You only have so much bandwidth to give. And not always recognizing, and this is something that actually is really resonating with me, even as recently as as this morning, um, that for everything that you take on, that there are concessions, whether you acknowledge them or not, there are concessions that are made in your life in the other areas that already exist. And if you are in a situation where you don't have um, the time or the resources or whatever, then what happens is you find yourself, whether we recognize it or not, it's kind of like our bodies make an adjustment. We compensate. Well, we compensate emotionally. We compensate in our lives by pulling from other areas. And so you, you only have so much in the bank. And so you're pulling from these different areas in order to make everything balance. And the concept that there's only one you, you can't, and the whole, well, give it 150%. So that's, that's like mathematically impossible. (laughs) You cannot do it. (laughs) And it's a great thing to say, because what we were really trying to say is that we're really putting forth a maximal effort. But I think that's the problem is that a lot of times, like you can't give 150% to 100% or 150% of the things in your life. And at some point, just like if you're using your muscles or using your body, emotionally, there's a point where you kind of start to wear down and the effects of all of those things that you're putting out end up kind of coming back to you. We (laughs) already have our first caller of the show. Is it Lewis? Louise? Louise. Louise, oh. hi, calling in from Canton. Hi, Louise, go ahead. Okay, first a comment, then a question. Sure. Uh, just that theory about uh, each child, I think you said eight hours. Uh, so what are you going to do about, uh, uh, my mother had nine children. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that means that she, you, you guys, so she ended up having weeks owed to her from the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, but so here's the question. Um, you know, there I've had friends over the years will say they went to their doctor, mainly a male doctor, and like one of these people, these ladies was going through, um, you know, a domestic violence situation that she had been in a while, and she was uh, very depressed. And she said her doctor told, "Oh, y'all, just go and run around the block, or you know, um, you know." So I'm, my question is for those who are counselors and that. What do you, how, how do you counsel a, a woman who uh, is depressed from a situation like domestic violence? Do you refer her to, um, you know, a domestic violence center? Do, so anyway, that's my question. 
Okay, good question, Louise. We're going to stop because we're having trouble hearing you, but go ahead, Dr. Um, Thank you for your question, Louise. Um, You know, they're all different kinds of depressions. There's clinical depression, there's functional depression, and we'll get into that later. But, you know, um, when someone is in a serious situation, a traumatic situation, um, running around the block is not going to help. Um, I think a doctor would say that maybe to get to get a um, rise in serotonin, because exercise is a good way to boost um, some of our feel good chemicals in our brain. But, you know, for her, absolutely, you know, safety first, getting her out of the situation. Um, And then for clinical depression, PTSD, um, the research shows the best way to deal with that is having um, ongoing talk therapy, preferably cognitive behavioral therapy, and sometimes, um, you know, management through a doctor or psychiatrist with medicine for a while. Um, So, you know, I think sometimes I, I thought your, what you said was important about seeing a doctor because many times the first point of access for patients is through their doctor. They don't feel good. They have migraines. They have chronic inflammation, mystery symptoms. Um, depression hurts. I think there's a commercial on TV mm-hmm. that says mm-hmm. depression hurts, but that's true. Um, sometimes when we can't attend to our emotions, our body takes it on. And that's what I do at my clinic is talk a lot about the mind-body connection and how we can nurture and take care of both our mind and body. All right, Louise, thank you so much for your phone call. Well, I think question. that's really interesting, too, um, the concept of this situa- like situational right. depression and um, how it, it's really hard to... It's hard when if your if your depression is situational. So first of all, a lot of times women don't want to talk about those things. Mm-hmm. They're they're very difficult to discuss. They are embarrassing and there's stigma and all these other things. Um, but I think the other part is that it's really hard for you to feel good about a bad situation. And um, a lot of times when you're in a situation such as the one that Louise alluded to. Um, one of the challenges that women have is that you you might have those moments where you feel good or feel better about things. And then because there's kind of usually a cycle that goes on, right. it usually is not continuous because or continuous. It usually makes it a little easier for you to get out um, in many instances. But I like what you said about, you know, first, first of all, safety always. Um, because your safety is the most important thing. But then after that, you got to be able to find some safe space. Right. Um, with some individual, there has to be at least a willingness to, and, and there's a vulnerability, admittedly, a vulnerability um, that enables you to trust someone to share your situation with whether that's a therapist or a counselor or a friend or a loved one or someone um, with whom you can share that information and confidence and vulnerability in an, if there's ever going to be any positive change or any way for you to a feel better about your situation and number two for you to rectify that situation. You're talking about situational depression. Um, that's when you lose a loved one, you have to move out of state, um, things that you can't control, external forces cause sometimes what's a natural decline or um, and you know, our feel good chemicals and depression can be a natural reaction to things, um, postpartum um Moving, having a you know losing a parent, losing a child, those are things we can't change. But therapy creates a place, 
and a space for validation, for healing, for unpacking of emotions. We need to take our first break, but um, I'm sorry to interrupt. When we come back, I do want to ask about the difference between being sad and being depressed. Depression as a mental illness. When we come back, we'll talk about that. The phone number to call if you have a question or a comment is one eight seven seven mpb ring one 672 7464 or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. We'll be back to continue the conversation about depression here on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Thank you for joining us on Southern Remedy for Women today. I'm Karen Brown. Dr. Michelle Owens is here. Dr. Allie Brown is here. Our special guest is Dr. Megan Clapton, a professional counselor and founder of Mindful Therapy. We are talking about depression today. And I asked before the break, or asked you to think about what we're going to talk about now, which is the definition of depression. How someone feels sad, maybe they feel sad for a day or a week or two weeks or a month. At what point can that be considered actual depression? Well, when we're talking about like major depressive disorder is how we kind of classify it in the DSM. Um, it is a long period of time of depressed mood um, and five or more symptoms of uh, weight loss or gain, um, s- problem sleeping, either too much sleeping or not sleeping at all, um, changes in functioning, basically. Um, I guess sadness is more of a mood, but depression and depressive episodes also have um, thoughts of death, not necessarily suicide. Of course, that's part of it, too, or suicidal ideation, but just thoughts of, like, it would be re- good if I wasn't here anymore. That can be a common symptom of depression. It, can depression be cured without seeing a medical professional? Um. Chronic depression, which is more than a month or two and not in relation to external forces, external situations, um, it the best mode of treatment is to see some kind of health care provider to get on a plan. Um, it's really a little mix of everything. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy works um, on some of the low self-esteem, feelings of guilt, those cognitive ruminations and worries. And then the behavioral part is that we try to get them to expand their world a little bit. Depression can be so isolating. And when we have that depressed mood, we don't want to be around people. We don't have the energy to get up and walk. Of course, that's a great idea for everyone to get up and take a walk. But when you're depressed, the problem with with motivation and apathy is that you don't want to, don't feel like it, and and sometimes you just can't. 
So when when um, your functioning is lowered, then that's time to see someone. I remember after Robin Williams committed suicide, which was shocking to I think all of us, there was someone on television, a, a, another famous person who had suffered from depression, and he was trying to explain what it was like. And he said, if someone put $10 million over there in the corner, it would be impossible for me to get up and go get it. Right. It's things that you used to love to do. You don't have energy for you don't enjoy anymore being around people um, that you used to like to be around and you don't anymore that that's a hallmark of, of a serious depressive episode. Well, I think and one of the things that I'd like for you to talk about a little bit, Meg, is this concept of like women, not just women, but people um, can be depressed and not really know it. Or And, and I, so there are two caveats to that. Number one. There, for some people, it may be denial. Yes. Um, because we, we're going to put it all out there. There's still a stigma um, and lots of work that we can do around informing people about the seriousness of mental health issues. Um, and there's a stigma about depression and the whole concept. Like there's this outward social pressure that, oh, you know, you just need to toughen up or, you know, just just grin and bear it or get through it or stop your stop your whining or whatever and and without really acknowledging how seriously devastating this can be and how it is really a medical illness um and that you truly just like you wouldn't tell a diabetic not to take their insulin you you with issues related to mental health people need the therapies and and other things that we know are effective in helping them a understand and b combat this illness and so first a little bit about how you can be depressed and not know it um, I kind of see depression in sort of three categories, especially with um, the patients that I see. An- there's one anxious depression, um, then agitated depression, and then sluggish depression. So starting with sluggish depression, that could be um, what we typically think of as a um, form of just low self-esteem, low motivation, just surviving. Um, it can be the most common depression. Um, there's loss of pleasure and things, uh, apathy, sleeping a lot. Sleeping is a form of escape because when we're asleep, we don't have to think about our mm-hmm. problems or have to deal with anything. A lot of people that have serious depression stay up at night and sleep during the day to avoid Okay. We're going to go to the yeah. phones. Uh, Sue is calling in from Beaumont. Hi, Sue. Hi, Carrie. It's always good to hear your voice. Well, thank you very much. Where's Beaumont? Um, I uh, uh, There's a show on television called Hoarders Buried Alive. And a hoard, I had a friend who was a hoarder, and you, you never see this treated as a mental illness, but it's obviously some kind of deeply seated mental disease there because people live in these garbage dumps and with rats and they running around and don't seem to realize that. So why is it, why isn't hoarding considered a mental illness that maybe they need shock treatment or something to jolt their brains back to reality? Wow. All right. So, <laughs> well, well wherever Beaumont is, how do you they really do feel not, They don't play in Beaumont. I've seen that show. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really kind of, um, amazing. Hoarding yeah. is, a, is in the um, our diagnostic manual. It is a oh, mental oh, illness. On, on the show, they bring in the organizers. And they bring in the uh, the uh, garbage dump people. I mean, people come haul out the garbage, but they don't tell. They don't put this person in treatment. That's what I don't understand. You know, um, 
hoarding is a little bit of a form of obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and so it's classified that way. And it is, you know, absolutely, you can take the stuff away. And many times we see with hoarders, when you clear out the house and get rid of the stuff, it happens, you know, the mm-hmm. house will fill right back up because they're not treating the underlying issue. And generally there's some trauma there as well. But it is um, a serious mental health issue that affects not just that person, but their whole family Absolutely. and certainly co-occurs with depression. Well, it's interesting because um, so I've been doing some reading on this topic and um, I think Sue was reading my mind, but um, they say that usually there's a traumatic experience or depression or something related to mental health or a, a uh, a serious event, a serious life event that kind of occurs. And then subsequent to that, this behavior develops. The hoarding? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So in many people, they, if you, if they actually are in and they do recommend it and, and Sue makes a good point, they do all this stuff, they come and clean it out and then they'll give at the end of the story at the end of, they'll tell you what happens to the person sometimes. And so you'll get a little denouement where they talk about well, what happened. However, yeah, later. I think it's more fascinating for the yeah. viewer they, to they see what's in the house. become a minimalist. Just, no, yeah. but then what happens is they'll say that they started reaccumulating of course, things. Absolutely. And, and they talk about how this is kind of it's one a of compulsive those behavior and, and so you have compulsive yeah, and that you have to kind of have that. So they one of the things that they do is they'll have the psychologist or therapist that will make commentary, but a lot of times they don't kind of engage the individual. They'll just kind of narrate the story or what have you. And I've often wondered if they might have more more of a benefit or more success long term if those people were kind of in addition to having them cleaned out and dealing with the immediate problem if they did just continue them with some sort of therapy afterwards to kind of address that uh the underlying issue let's hope so sue thank you so much for your phone call nice to talk with you um Going back to depression that right. lasts and lasts, you, you said there were three different so categories. Sluggish depression is um, generally you see a low norepinephrine and dopamine. Um, it's staying in bed all day, avoiding. Um, the second type of depression I see is agitated depression, and um, that can be seen sometimes more in men. Um, it's that irritability. Um, they have high levels of norepinephrine. So they're up. They're not in bed all the time. They're going 100 miles an hour all the time. Lots of times they um, we describe it as high-functioning depression because it can be someone that is a lawyer, someone that has, you know, a, it works in government. Anybody that has high-level stress in their job, um, they tend to— And that's to, actually depression? That falls under the category of depression? It can. It can be presented that way. There are so many types of depression. It's not just sitting at home alone and crying. That certainly is a type of depression, but this agitated depression is more—they're um, not resting. They're not sleeping. The third type I see is anxious depression, um, and that has to do kind of with low serotonin, and I see a lot of women that have this type of depression. We're going to get details of that, but first we have a phone call. We want to get to Sandra calling in from Tupelo. Sandra, go ahead. Good morning. Hi. Uh, Yes, I have a question about, and in fact, you saying serotonin made me think about this. Um, I, I suffer from depression. I've been off and on medication for the last uh, 20 years or so and currently am on it and I, the last three years or so and and by the way the medication works wonderful for me um 
But I wake up in the morning with this heaviness in my gut, so to speak, and almost like an angst that is just almost overwhelming. And it it just, I don't know how to, I don't know how else to describe it. And, and somebody said something about serotonin and that sometimes when, I just wonder, can you have surges of serotonin or, or no serotonin that what would be causing this? Because it's a terrible feeling. Thank you so much for sharing your story, and thank you for um, your question. The morning is hard for people that have an anxious depression. It, it's more of an anxiety, a feeling of dread, just waking up saying, oh, I have this all of these tasks in front of me. I have all of these things I have to do today. Um, you know, because you're taking medication, that's... Um, your neurochemicals are given in a steady dose, and that might be something you want to talk to your prescriber about if you want to take your medicine in the morning versus at nighttime. Um, but that is certainly a common symptom. Um, people either have these what we call the sundowners, so after the whole day is gone, the sun goes down, and then people can start to feel depressed. It usually happens either in the beginning or the end of the day. So that what you're having is a common symptom of depression. Um, you know, trying to find one or two things in the morning. I highly recommend us not using our cell phones as a alarm clock or for our time because what happens is we'll wake up and immediately have a text or an email or something that we have to get done, and that just starts off the day in a panic, in a, um, oh, my gosh, I have all these things. How am I going to have the motivation to do it? So trying to look at your morning routine could help. But I also would recommend talking to your um, prescriber about um, what time of day you take your medication. Well, I actually take it in the morning and in the evening. I take two in the morning and one at night. But um, it, it has not alleviated that part. It, it helps me function better and more and more what I call normal. But um, it, it hasn't really relieved that. And, I mean, it is like the minute I open my eyes. Right. It's just a complete physical feeling. Have you ever thought or tried uh, a morning meditation? Like a routine, adding that into your routine? Oh, yes, I, I do. I, thankfully, I'm retired and can I have time in the morning to do that, and I do. And I, it help? eventually lifts. It mm-hmm. does lift, but it, 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 until it lifts, it is not a very comfortable feeling. Absolutely. I'm so sorry about that. That is a common um, in the morning of just waking up, like, here I go again. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're glad the medication is working for you. It does, and I thank God for it. So Good. Sandra, thank thank you you so much for calling. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. You were talking about uh, anxious depression. Is that what you called it? Anxious depression, which is um, what Sue was talking about, that low serotonin. Mm -hmm. Um, It's that we are just reacting to stress all the time. I know going through the day, it's just reaction, reaction, reaction. Mm -hmm. So that can be a a hallmark of anxious depression. I'm sorry. I looked at the clock. I went, oh, it's time for a break. And I interrupted. I apologize. If you want to give us a call. I'm really depressed now. (laughs) Uh If you want to give us a call, I am very anxious. 1-877-MPB-RING. 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. And we'll be right back to continue our conversation on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy for Women. We're talking about depression today with Dr. Megan Clapton. She's a professional counselor and a founder, uh, the founder of Mindful Therapy. We haven't even addressed what mindful therapy is yet. So would you like to address that? Well, I I do practice mindfulness personally, and I like to um, use that with my clients. And what mindfulness is, is paying attention on purpose. Um, We are so on the go all the time talking about the anxious type of depression. It's we're in this reactionary state all the time of, you know, of getting a text on our phone and reacting to it and having someone come up and give us a task to do and we react to it. And that is um, we're getting lots of cortisol, which is the stress hormone in our body. And then we get in that fight or flight mode of, okay, I have to either go do something about it or fight or freeze too. Freeze is also an option. But that part of our brain, the amygdala, the reactionary part of our brain, we use all the time. Say that word again. The amygdala. I love that. And what is that? It's, my favorite. it's, it's an angry part of your brain. Ooh, oh, the amygdala. The amygdala. It's okay. where we have, um, you know, all of our impulses, mm-hmm. all of our um, just reactions. It's that people call it like the monkey mind. It's the part of the brain that um, that has developed. And we don't have the frontal lobes are the part of the brain that is aware that we're human, aware that we're thinking, can pay attention and focus and using mindfulness skills, which is meditation and other mindful exercises, can try to balance that part of our brain because we are moving from our amygdala monkey mind all the time. (laughs) So give an example of how you would use that in therapy. If someone comes in depressed, sluggish, depressed, how might that help them? Um, doing some breath, just basic breathing exercises. We are all breathing from in our chest and our throat all the time. Um, we're going, going, going constantly. So just my first step in any mindfulness exercise is just to pay attention to how we're breathing and doing some long exhales can help so much. If you're in the car right now and you are going, going, going between tasks, just doing a long exhale can help so much reset our blood pressure, our heart rate variability, um, noticing things about ourselves um, is comes up with mindfulness. When we are busy all the time, we don't have time to think about ourselves. I know I do my best worrying about 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> I think a lot of women... Worse in the yeah, middle of the night. Yes, uh, that's worse. because I don't have time to think about what's going on in my life until about 2.30 in the morning and my cortisol wakes me up and thinks, what do I have to get done? What do I have to do? Um, so, you know, with women, that anxious depression, that reactionary depression is what we see a How lot How do you of. get rid of cortisol in your body? Um, well, meditation's an easy way um, to do. Just taking some time to slow down, to not react. Yeah, it's slowing down the release of it. You know, your right. adrenal glands, they're down here in your lower back, they uh, sitting on top of your kidneys, they release that hormone and they're releasing it in a response to stress. So anything you can do to minimize your stress is going to decrease your circulating cortisol because it it only goes so long and then you just start kind of getting exhausted. It's not a long-term solution, but so many of us live in this state long-term and we think about our physical health and we talk about going to the doctor and doing this and that or going to the gym, but so few people talk about 
their health of their mind. And it's just as important. I mean, if you're physically fit and healthy, but but you can't think right and you're depressed, it doesn't matter. What if you have anxiety or panic attacks? Does that fall under depression? Um, they can occur together, certainly. Um, panic and anxiety are more anxiety disorders. But, you know, a lot of times um, thing, we don't fit the mold. Um, so anxiety and depression can go hand in hand, especially in women, because we have to keep going for our children. We have to keep going for our families. So the anxious depression type is what I see most of. And it's really a balance of doing some behavior stuff, meditation, uh, making some changes in your schedule, making time for yourself, talking about balancing work, life. How about balancing ourself and others? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm Self-care. Yeah, I was reading, doing some research for the show just about depression in women. And I read that 15 million uh, people um, suffer from depression every year in our country, and most are female. Two-thirds of those uh, women do not get the help that they need. Women that's are twice. 66%. That's right. right. Women are 66%. twice. 66%. Because we're just Jeez. putting it off or we not don't recognizing have time to make it. that yes. appointment. And what we do is we talk to each other and we're like, oh, girl, I do that too. And then we say, <laughs> oh, so then it's normal. And we're like, no, we're no. just all no. abnormal together. That's when you got to find that third friend who yeah. takes care of it, right? <laughs> the one who's gotten the to one take third. care of. <laughs> uh, women are twice as likely to develop clinical depression than men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one in four women experience a major depressive episode in their lifetime. One in four? Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Yeah. I, I think that's probably more, too. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, if we all look at it back at our life, I know I had a medical issue, and um, sometimes that you have a medical issue, and then that causes depression because you have to be isolated and Helpless. You don't, you're not in your yeah, routine. Out of control. And, mm-hmm. You know, you can't work. So sometimes the depression, that situational depression, is due to other issues. Dr. Owens, you were saying before about how there might be stigma attached, which which sort of rang a bell with me. For the person who's afraid to talk about that she's depressed, let's say it's a woman who's very successful and she has children, she has a loving husband and a big house. Is she going to tell her friends, oh, I'm depressed? I, and they're going to say, why would you be depressed? My gosh, you have everything in the world. No, I think what's going to happen is her friends are going to tell her she's depressed more right. than likely. Um, if, they're, if they're really her friends. Um, no, but seriously, I think that, and that's kind of part of it, right? Because I was so glad to hear Dr. Kaplan say, it's not just sitting at home and being sad and crying because I think that sometimes there's a misperception that 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 equals depression. And if you're anything else, then that's not it. And one of the things that I hear so frequently um, that is also a symptom of depression is this concept of just being overwhelmed or that whole concept of, oh, I used to have it all together and now it's all falling apart around me. Like everything's crashing and burning around me. Um, And so this concept of feeling overwhelmed we talked about um, just earlier, we were talking about forgetfulness or forgetting things um, and how that can be a symptom Absolutely. of depression. Indecisiveness. Indecisiveness, Huge. not being able to, or, or your inability to focus, whereas before you could. I mean, it's not all ADHD. Sometimes it's just depression. Um, and I think that sometimes it, it's not like it's great if you if you're hearing this and you're thinking hey I do that perhaps maybe I need to educate myself a little bit more maybe I need to to see a healthcare prof- 
professional and, and talk a little bit more about this, investigate this a little bit more. But I think the other thing is that the people around you who are closest to you may oftentimes be the sounding boards who can at least kind of give you feedback that might make some of those things a little bit more evident because for many people that's just kind of become the norm so you realize it's your new normal like oh i used to be able to remember everything now i can't remember anything i can forget my name if you ask me at the right time um those kinds of things and so what happens is once we've gotten into this little rut and we start making our compensations and we start you know make it we find 80 million reasons to explain away Mm -hmm. all of these things when there could just be one answer to the question and it could address or touch so many different areas and aspects of our lives and the good news about it is you know even if nobody wants to be the person that raises their hand and says yes i am depressed um, the good news is that it's it's something that's very treatable, very treatable. And 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 I think like that because I always like try to think, well, what's what's the or manageable? Good news? Yeah, what's manageable. the good news? And the good news is that it's definitely something that you can treat. It's something that's manageable, and but but you can't really open that door to all of the good things that are in store until you first at least you know acknowledge that it's an issue or a problem and then you have that creates all of the opportunity for for things to be so much better our last break of the show coming up now um when we come back i want to ask about clinical depression and how medication might be the best thing but there's stigma attached to that as well if you have a question or comment now's the time to do it by calling 1-877-MPB-RING 1-877-672-7464 or send an email to women at mpbonline.org and we'll be right back This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. We're back on our final segment of Southern Remedy for Women, talking about depression today with Dr. Megan Clapton. I'm also here with Dr. Michelle Owens and Dr. Allie Brown. And we have a phone call. We'll get right to it. Laurel, not Laurel, Jordan calling from Laurel. Hi, Jordan. Hi, how's it going? Good, how are you? Doing great. Uh, My question was, you know, depression sometimes leads to panic attacks. Uh, I have them almost every day, every 10 to 15 minutes, and sometimes it bothers me at nighttime. Uh, How does one go about... um, resolving these panic attacks because they have basically consumed my life. My parents will call. It seems like they only call when something happens, and that would trigger my panic attack. A uh, text message, even deep thinking or, you know, talking with somebody, it's like a burst of that rush of panic starts to happen. And I've been trying to figure out a way 
like I've been looking up herbal things I could drink or or even exercising and just to stop it. It's like what can I do? Thank you, Jordan, for your call. Um, You know, if you're having multiple panic attacks a day, it it becomes kind of a medical issue. We're talking about um, that amygdala and cortisol. And sometimes you can, if you're having several a day, you can get trapped in a a cycle. And, you know, my my first... um, suggestion to you is to go see a healthcare provider because medication sometimes is necessary to get you back, you know, get out of that cycle of panic. Um, And also learning um, and learning how to cope with some of the warning signs and triggers before the panic attack happens. Um, And having a talk therapist is the best way to handle that. So um, both a little bit of a medication and some therapy will help with that a lot because you you know you don't need to suffer through this. There are um, things you can do for um, yourself, and if you're if you're having many a day, I would definitely recommend going to uh, your primary care physician first to talk about um, making a treatment plan. We wish you well, Jordan. That sounds just awful. So thank you for calling, and I hope you can get some help for that. All right, we're going to get back to clinical depression now and and medication. You always need a medication to treat clinical depression? Not necessarily. Um, you know, every person's depression is unique. So to say um, that medication helps for everybody, that's not true. And but is there a chemical imbalance in your body that... That um, medicine might restore certainly, a certainly. Um, I love what Dr. Owen said about um, insulin. You know, some and I use that in therapy a lot when I'm trying to um, help someone find some medication for them. Is that sometimes we have to have a little intervention for a while to get a little boost of serotonin to um, kind of balance out our system. And many times, sometimes it's an endocrine issue. I know Dr. Owen sees a lot of people, and I do too, with have. Um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, yes. which is a very common type of depression in women. And so not necessarily um, a psychotropic drug, but maybe um, hormones, birth control, mm-hmm. balancing the endocrine system. Yeah. So really having a team approach to this is the best way. Talking to your healthcare provider, therapist, working together to find out the best combination. Yeah. And the other thing is that there are some medical uh, medical disorders that have symptoms that overlap with yes. depression. And so, um, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is like an underactive thyroid, mm-hmm. for example. So um, the other thing is that for women or for anyone who has any of those symptoms, you know, a lot of them kind of are similar to thyroid dysfunction. And so that's why it's really important to engage a healthcare provider because um, even if you believe that you may be clinically depressed, there may be an underlying organic issue that needs to be evaluated or at least investigated by a healthcare provider just to make sure that that's that it's truly just isolated depression and that there's not some other me- coexisting medical condition that is also contributing to your symptoms. There are drugs that are considered antidepressants like Prozac or Zoloft. Or SSRIs. Or, yes. Kind of so what do they do exactly that, to um, treat depression? You know, again, different types of depression require different types of medication. So it's not just about serotonin, but it's about a norepinephrine and GABA. Um, so it, it you really need to have a uh, psychiatrist or someone that has a lot of experience um, to find the right type for your kind of depression. Because, you know, what we've been talking about the whole time, 
is um, uh, we've been talking about parts of the brain, right? And so, you know, we talk about mental health, and I think people sometimes think that mental health is more about your conscience or that but and don't really see it as brain related right issues you're not tough or enough or resilient right. enough and, or you can't get it together yeah and and so the 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 thing is that the medications that are utilized for um for depression treatment or depression therapy are medications that alter levels of neurotransmitters, which basically means the things that make brain cells communicate with each other. Um, So they change the levels of those neurotransmitters or those, those communication substances that are released by the actual brain cells. And so what it does is there are certain ones that when they're higher, they make us feel, we tend to feel happier. And so if you have depression where you are low in that uh, particular substance, then you take a medicine that allows the that substance to stick around in our systems a little longer. And so it, recognizing, I think, the why these medicines work is because it's not just... So it's in your head and that it is in your brain because your brain's in your head, but it's not all in your mind. That these are actually chemical imbalances that occur and that by changing the chemicals that are floating around in your brain, they help our brain cells to communicate with each other and they communicate better and communicate more positively with certain levels being at a, at a different, at a different level. And so that's kind of how the medicines work. And so we talk about SSRIs, that's because serotonin has been, that's one of them. So it keeps serotonin from being sucked up faster. It it lets it hang around longer. Some of the other uh, neurotransmitters are changed by other types of medications and that's basically how they work. You can get serotonin by activities or well, you could get through- dopamine and serotonin surges through, you know, many pleasurable activities, but that's not gonna sustain um, sustain you for a long time. But we would at least recommend that you participate in pleasurable activities as <laughs> often as you possibly yes. can. As, Look, as med- a form of self-care. <laughs> Medical, medi- medication alone is not a substitute for pleasurable activities. There right. you go. You, you know, the, um, the image that I use for people that have depression when they come in, it's almost like you're out, almost getting like with the undertow out in the ocean. The waves are coming. You can't see the shore. Um, and sure, I can tell you to go swim really hard to shore, but that's not going to help. So I think medication sometimes can be like a life preserver. It can kind of get you up out of the water so you can see the shore and which direction to go. It's not going to take you right there, but it's going to at least give you a boost to say, oh, there is a shore there and I can swim to it. It's not a motorboat. Right. And Jordan called, you know, Jordan mentioned um, about uh, looking up, you know, natural remedies because I, I think that it's really important. I want this show to be a show that kind of is really for everyone. And there are lots of people who don't want to take medicines. Absolutely. Who and don't want to take pills. Um, and there are some, you know, herbal remedies or natural remedies that are out there. Now, we know that those medications, I mean, that those substances are not like, you know, reviewed by the FDA and all those right. things. But, you know, before there were drug manufacturing companies, we as human beings existed on the earth and we did that by treating things that ailed us with what we had available to us, which was the things that grew around us. Um, So that being said, what do you, do you have any, 
um, experiences that have been positive with people using some of those alternative therapies um, to be successful or as as even just a companion to um, to your to the therapy and maybe even other medications. You know, when you're dealing with clinical depression, it's it, the best form of relief for that is through psychotropic medication. But, you know, of course I have people that don't want to take medicine. So I ask, what are you willing to do? What changes do you think you can make? Can you do, can you boost a little exercise? Cause that is a natural way to do, to um, increase serotonin, you know, things like Sam E, um, St. John's wort. So, sometimes people have you know, good results with that. But that's, that is really um, kind of piecing together some things, things with like seasonal affective disorder. Um, you can go on uh, antidepressant just during the winter. If you have seasonal affective disorder, you could also use a light box. Um, you can use uh, checking vitamin D levels um, are some kind of out of the box treatment. Well, we are out of time, and that was a nice way to end it, I think. Thank Dr. you. Dr. Megan Clapton, thank you so much. She's a professional, professional, professional counselor, and let me say, founder of Mindful <laughs> Therapy. Thank you very much for coming in. Oh, Southern Remedy for Women is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio. It's funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by generous support from the MPB Foundation. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. Our call screener is Java Chapman. For Dr. Michelle Owens, for Dr. Allie Brown, I'm Karen Brown. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy for Women. And stay tuned. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.